We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. The score! This hour is brought to you by Vasectomy Clinics of Chicago. Bernstein and Holmes, middays 10 to 2 on 670 The Score and 670thescore.com in Odyssey Station. Station. Zero's on the clock, it's over! The Eagles have beaten the New England Patriots 41-33 in Super Bowl 52. They have finally done it! Zero's on the clock, the benches will empty. Kansas City has won their first Super Bowl in 50 years. 50 years, a lifetime, and they do it in come-from-behind fashion, beating San Francisco 31-20 to in Super Bowl 54. From 1985 to 1993, Kevin Harlan was the voice of the Kansas City Chiefs. An incredible run by the Nigerian nightmare. Oh, hit it, sacked. Oh, baby, what a play. He's gone. He's gone. Oh, baby, what a play. The big break came in 1994. We were doing the AFC Championship game, and I'm walking across the field in Buffalo, and here comes Steve Sable and Carl Peterson, Chiefs General Manager, across the field. Carl says, we were just talking about you. Fox had just gotten the rights to the NFL. He said, uh, Fox called me, and they wanted to know the top three, in my opinion, radio announcers doing teams in the NFL, and your name was one of the names I gave them. Hi, everyone. Welcome. Kevin Harlan with you, and welcome to the christening of the NFL on Fox. We're probably the only people in Green Bay who every year when the Super Bowl comes up, we turn down the sound on television, we put a radio in the back hallway and listen to Kevin Harlan do the game on Westwood One. With a script right out of Hollywood, the star-studded Los Angeles Rams are a hit. They have won Super Bowl 56. Wow. Good stuff, Mike Rankin. Bring it in this guy, Kevin Harlan who joins us on the Score Hotline, presented by Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. How are you, Kevin? Well, that was so nice. I'm, <laughs> to hear all that was uh, that was terrific. Thanks to whoever put that together. I'm, I'm, I'm speechless. That was very nice to hear and hear my dad's voice in there. And, um, uh, thank you. That was. I'm glad to join you, especially after hearing that. So it's good to be on with you. Well, we're happy to have you too. Our guy Mike Rankin put a lot of work into that, and we like to bring in the guests and make them feel welcome. So thank you for for being a part. Oh my of it. gosh! 
Oh, Mike, thank you very much. I, I appreciate that more than you know. Very, very kind. Thank you. What number Super Bowl is this for you? This will be my 14th. No, let's see what. This will be my 13th in a row on uh, Westwood One CBS Radio and 14th uh, overall. I, uh, Moose Johnston and I, when Moose began broadcasting after retiring from the Cowboys, was at CBS. And he and I were partners uh, uh, during that 2000 season. And uh, HDTV was going to start broadcasting um, NFL games that Super Bowl. And they selected CBS, selected me and Moose to do the play-by-play on HDTV. Now, there were probably only, uh, I think they said a half million sets HDTVs in the U.S., but there were millions and millions of others around the world, and um, so that was that was the first one I did back between the Giants and the Ravens, and then uh, began Marv Albert had done them. He and I split the Monday night package in the 2009 season, and I took over full-time Monday night in 2010, and then 2011 was my first with, uh, with Westwood One. That was in... Uh, Texas with Green Bay and Rodgers against Roethlisberger and the Pittsburgh Steelers. How is your prep for this game similar or different to a regular NFL game? Two weeks to get ready for it. I just did the Eagles last week against San Francisco. Uh, Did Kansas City the week before against Jacksonville. So I've seen the two teams uh, each five times this year, but recently in the last uh, month. So I'm, I'm pretty up to date on the teams. You get the extra week to prepare, which is great. You can be more methodical. I, I go over every broadcast that I do and I have a chart and I grade myself. And after I grade it and I let it kind of go to bed, then a couple of days later, I get it back out again. And just listen, as I'm walking around the office or around the house or driving in the car as if I'm a regular listener. So I listen to it two different ways. And during a week when I've got a Sunday CBS TV NFL game, then the Monday night game, uh, wherever that is, and then Tuesday night in the fall TNT NBA, um, it becomes a pretty crowded week. <laughs> so, so I don't get to do as much diligence with going over the broadcast I've just done at all three uh, platforms. But this uh, off weekend gave me a chance to kind of get a head start on that. The storylines will be known by all of America, probably by now. So really, it's just the you know making sure that I'm buttoned down with my call, my delivery, knowing the players clearly, and and making sure that I'm ready in, in every way so that when I put on the headset in Glendale on Sunday afternoon, that uh, I, I, I don't have any nerves, I feel comfortable, and more importantly, confident uh, that I can do the best of my abilities. So I, I like that challenge. And but it's, it is easier to prepare for a Super Bowl, probably more than any other broadcast. You're one of the most prominent radio voices, but you also do television. So I'm curious, what do you think is the difference between what your call sounds like on radio versus what it should sound and look like on TV? Well, on TV, the play-by-play guy is the fourth most important thing on there. It's the, it's the picture, you know, what, what the cameras are shooting, then the analyst because he's got to tell a lot of people and helps everybody in deciding why a play worked or didn't. Then the graphics and the replays and the bells and whistles and all those fun things we see 
that they do from the truck and then the play-by-play guy. That's my opinion. And that's not to diminish anyone who does it on TV. And, and I do NFL, I've do. i done NFL TV since 1994 at the network level, so I hold it in very high esteem, uh, the importance of doing a TV game. But I know my role at the same time. So I'm there to accentuate the picture, uh, accentuate the graphics and the statistics they put on the screen, set up the, the color analyst, give some pockets of space on television, let it breathe and let people have a chance to digest what they're seeing, what they've just heard the analysts say, maybe try to digest a statistic with the graphic that's been thrown up on the screen. So you don't want to overload them on radio. All you have for the listener is the the theater of their imagination and their thoughts and their emotions. So the play-by-play guy in radio is number one. So it's all about pacing, delivery, word usage, reporting skill, um, you know, using the crowd as an orchestra if there's a big play, but making sure that they're constantly aware of scoring time, which you don't have to do as much on TV because the score is on there constantly. Constantly knowing what, you know, the geographic view, because everybody knows what a football field looks like. Everybody knows what a shotgun formation is. And everybody knows what a leaping two-handed sideline catch would look like. But it's incumbent on the radio play-by-play guy to make sure that all those things are as vivid in the listener's mind uh, with the words you're using. And so that challenged him. It's the purest form of broadcasting, right? It's voice. It's diction, it's vocabulary, it's pacing, it's delivery, it's reporting skills. It's like every touch point that someone in our business needs. Whereas in TV, it's a whole other set of skills. I personally grew up with my dream being um, on radio doing games like this. So when I put on that headset, wherever I am, um, it's a pretty, it's a pretty special moment. And I, Never take it lightly and always think uh, lightly and always think of the people that preceded me, and in particular, Jack Buck, who did 17 radio Super Bowl broadcasts, but also the Jim Simpsons of the world who did the very first one for NBC Radio. And I think Jack Grease, a Chicago announcer, Mm -hmm. was on with a guy named Tom Hedrick, and Jack Grease and Tom Hedrick did the first Super Bowl radio broadcast for CBS Radio uh, between the Chiefs and the Packers from the Coliseum in L.A. So I think of all the, Ray Scott and all these great broadcasters who have had the privilege of being in that seat and calling the big game. The big thing for me as a, as a listener, and I know part of, part of my actual schooling as a radio play-by-play guy involved your Timberwolves producer coming to the Continental Basketball Association meetings in Minneapolis and playing tapes of, of some of your calls for all of the young broadcasters and concentrating on verbs, active voice and verbs. And when you hear it in these calls, it, it's it, it's you know shoulders into the pile, or like you would say, peers into the congested lane. What 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 makes things pop for in in my mind always? It's not adjectives. It's not the other descriptors. Rather than using that good verb to describe what someone is doing. Well, that and that's the challenge to come up with that, and yet have it come in the flow of a broadcast. You know. You can have all the great words and, and all those tools and, and spit them out, but if you're stumbling and there's no flow, there's no rhythm, there's no cadence, 
if 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 your voice is is for what, wonky that day for whatever reason, um, you know it, it 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 can deter from it. You may have a great game, but if the delivery is off, uh, it's not good. I, my daughter, our daughter, is in the business, mm-hmm. and as a sideline reporter, and I've always told her, I said, I would take a C level story that you're reporting on with an A delivery as opposed to a A story in a C delivery. In other words, when I talk to the kids, uh, young broadcasters, mainly in college, because they get contacted all the time by these uh, professors and these uh, kids in college that, that want to get in the business, I say the first thing you need to work on is delivery and your voice. You know, we've got a lot of broadcasters now that aren't into radio, and they go right into cable TV, and, and they're calling a TV game, but they never have a chance to develop their voice. And when I, I'm 62, so when I was a young broadcaster, um, uh, I had an internship at, at the forebear of ESPN Radio. And it was in Avon, Connecticut. It was called Enterprise Radio, which evolved into ESPN Radio. And uh, they hired two interns that summer. One, me, uh, from the University of Kansas. And the other was a kid from Syracuse named Sean McDonough. And we, 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 were the, we were the two interns. We were the two going into our senior years in college. And that's where Sean and I became friends and, and, uh, and partners over the years and talking about the business. And, and uh, from afar, I, we don't get to see each other, talk with each other as much, but it was great that we got to kind of start in that same area. And, and that company hired a bunch of retired or laid off engineers from Mutual Radio, CBS, ABC, NBC Radio in New York, Voice of America in Washington, and they would drive up to Connecticut and kind of moonlight. And 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 when I got to know them during that summer, I said, "Would you mind bringing up some tapes that you may have at home of old broadcasters?" And and that's where I began to kind of form the way uh, I call a game on radio now, which is not more of a modern TV call, but more of a of an old style radio, so just because that was my personal liking. I liked when I heard Red Barber or some of the great broadcasters of the past, you know, talk about the, the wind swept infield and, and, uh, you know, straightening out the bill of his cap and looking into the catcher's sign and yep. a glance over, you know, some, some of those things now you really don't get. Um, and, but I found it fascinating to hear the detail they gave. And that to me was compelling. And that's how I tried to base and still do my call on, on on NFL radio games. There seems to be a freedom to to the Westwood One broadcast. You have a lot of fun, and it comes across when we're listening to games on Westwood One. When did you feel like you got to a point as a broadcaster where you could add in the fun? Whether we're talking about you know the the rabbit or squirrel on the going into the 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 red zone, like when did you feel like it was okay? to deviate a little bit from what usually people think is the role of the play-by-play guy? Well, when I was doing local Kansas City Chiefs radio, I got that job when I was 24. And so I was kind of, you know, pretty much right out of college. Before that, I had done the NBA Kansas City Kings. That was the first job I had out of college. And they moved to Sacramento. And uh, eventually I got to replace the legendary Wayne Larrabee. He went to Chicago to do the Bears for all those great years now the Packers' voice in Green Bay. But I followed Wayne, and I got that job when I was 24. So I was still pretty immature, pretty stupid. 
and and I was working with Len Dawson, the 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 wonderful Hall of Fame quarterback who recently passed, and and we and we had some bad teams. Uh, concurrent with that, I did I, I took the Minnesota Timberwolves job and commuted from Kansas City literally every day back and forth, uh, and did the Timberwolves game sixty on radio and twenty. 20 some on 22 on on TV and the teams were so bad with the Chiefs when I took over and the Timberwolves when I took over Timberwolves being an expansion team that you kind of had to make yourself you know engaged and it was hard getting your brains beating every night by 30 40 points so you kind of find ways to entertain yourself you know especially late in the season so some of those some of those hijinks kind of began then and a in a comfortable side I guess began to emerge but when I first got to Fox or ESPN before that, then to Fox and then to CBS, I mean, I was, uh, it, it was, I was in awe. I, you know, when we got to Fox, uh, they, they hired, uh, you know, first of all, Pat Summerall and Dick Stockton, Hall of Fame voices and guys that I had grown up listening to and revered more than I can possibly put into words. But then they hired four young guys, uh, uh, including myself, that were to kind of fill up the bottom of that roster, me and Joe Buck and Tom Brenneman and Kenny Albert. And I can remember the four of us sitting there, you know, watching Summerall walk by or listening to Stockton talk and thinking, how in the world are we ever going to measure up to these, you know, these Hall of Fame legend guys? So I think we were all kind of buttoned down. Uh, and and that began, when you be in a certain element, you become more comfortable. Clearly we did. And that has led to the calls you've heard. But when I had my first animal experience, it was on ESPN on, on Halloween. <laughs> uh, we were, I was doing a, a Halloween game in West Lafayette, Indiana, between Michigan and Purdue in 1991. And, and a, a, a rabbit or a squirrel, I forget. Now, one of the, it may have been a rabbit, ran out of the field. They stopped. Elvis Gerbach was the quarterback for the Wolverines. And it was on Halloween. I'm working with Craig James, and the rabbit then runs right down the middle of the field, cuts at the five, and goes barreling into the end zone for a touchdown. And I called because play had stopped, and everyone's looking at the rabbit, and the rabbit's not moving. Then eventually it accelerates and goes right down between the hash marks all the way into the end zone. And I called the play, and I can remember when we had a commercial break after that, telling Craig, he said, I'm finished. Like, I am done. Like, there, there's no way they're going to allow that kind of nonsense to happen. Luckily for me, they looked beyond it, and I got to stay for another couple years. And so, so those things kind of build in to, you know, what your, your comfort level, I guess, is. And when it happens, it happens. And if it doesn't, you just call the game like you normally see it. But if something happens weird, sometimes that fits the broadcast, too. And I hope people always, you know, take it the right way and know that I'm just trying to have – fun along with our broadcast crew one thing that we always love is when the greatest players of all time bring out spontaneous greatness in a in a play-by-play call and when lebron james was honored last night in in the mix is of course from may 12th of 2008 the dunk by LeBron, which you described as him having no regard for human life. <laughs> what what does it mean to you that you were a part of the ceremony honoring him last night? And what are your thoughts on him being the all time leading scorer? Well, it was uh, it was great for TNT to get the broadcast. We have uh, different crews, and and the Tuesday crew got to work that, and 
that means a Tuesday studio crew that's different than Ernie and Shaq and Charles and Kenny. So uh, it's like two completely different divisions. So it was great that it was on TNT last night. Uh, I, I knew he would break it last night. I just had a feeling that, uh, you know, to live with that kind of pressure, whether it was Cal Ripken, you know, at the all-time uh, games played thing over Gehrig or Hank Aaron when he was trying to get past Babe Ruth back in the early uh, 70s, mid-70s with the home run record. I mean, all the all these different records, they weigh on these players. So I knew that he would probably get it last night. We've got the game tomorrow night, Lakers and Milwaukee against the Bucks uh, out in, in Southern California. And um, so there was a chance it was going to happen tomorrow night. But, you know, I don't, I don't think about those things from a broadcasting standpoint, but I think about, you know, just – uh, what he represents and what he did. I think any broadcaster that kind of falls into that is, is so fortunate. And you, you, you say, thank you. I got, I got a kiss here. I got, a, I got really lucky. And, and so we knew that was a chance for us. But you think of the broader picture, and you think about when you're a part of moments like that and can watch him. And to watch LeBron do that and watch – I was actually – I did his first game as a pro in Sacramento when he was 17 years old. Um, Doug Collins and I did that game. And, and so we've kind of watched him the whole time. And then the, the, the big dunk over the reigning defensive player of the year that you're referring to Kevin Garnett. Um, Doug was with me on that broadcast or I was with Doug on that broadcast that night. And so that was a lot of fun. And then watching him last night, do what he did and thinking of all the great players that have played, not the least of which was Michael and Kobe and uh, to me, Jordan and Bryant are still the two most spectacular players I've, I've ever called. Uh, had done them both since their rookie year and got to watch their careers and enjoyed their acrobatics. And they're just different players than LeBron. LeBron has got that, but he's, 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 he's just different. Like he, he's like a, a, he's like a tight, he's, he's just different in his body. And, and he's not maybe the, the flamboyant that Brian or certainly Michael was, um, but he's certainly in that conversation clearly. And now he's the number one scorer. So to have watched him as Jordan and, and Kobe, you know, is a, is a real honor uh, for all of us that have watched and written and broadcast his games over the years. It's uh, it was amazing. And, And a nice night for the NBA in the midst of, of Super Bowl week, and um, uh, what, what an accomplishment when you think about all that he's had to go through and all the points he's scored against the different defenders over the years, three different teams with championships in each, uh, a pretty amazing career that he's had, and it's not over. It is not over. Kevin, have a terrific call. We will be listening to your Westwood One Super Bowl call right here on The Score. Thanks so much for taking time for us today. Thank you, and thanks to Mike again. Uh, Mike, uh, I've been in your shoes uh, uh, as a as a young producer uh, back years ago, and, and know um, how much pride you take in those things. And believe me, I am one person that can say how appreciative I am of that very kind uh, montage you put it together at the at the beginning of the conversation. Thank you so much. That, that meant a lot. Thank and I, you. I'm, I'm told I have to pass along a hello and a radio hug from Mitch Rosen as well. He oh, I love hi. Mitch. He's, he's a legend in the business, and you please pass along my best wishes to him. Will do. Thanks, Kevin. Thank you. That's Kevin Harlan, one of the all-time greats. He's my favorite. Oh, so many names, so much history, so much going on there. And I hope young broadcasters were, and aspiring broadcasters were, were paying attention to some of that wisdom. Yep, he gave you a template for how play-by-play should look and sound. Coming up.
Mike Florio. We're going to talk with him about all sorts of stuff, including Aaron Rodgers going to a dark place. Next, here on The Score. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Ladies and gentlemen, joining us now is a man who's got a massive brain. Mike Florio. He used to be a lawyer, then he decided to take his talents to the internet. NBC Sports. I'm sorry I'm late. I was talking to Robert Kraft. Pro Football Talk. I wouldn't listen to some of those people out there, especially guys like Mike Florio. Mike Florio with Bernstein and Holmes on the score. Let's talk football with Mike Florio at Pro Football Talk. Score hotline presented by Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. Mike, sorry we're a little late to get to you, but when you have Kevin Harlan on the line telling stories, old broadcasting stories and uh, talking about the craft, you can understand why we're a little late. Yeah, were there any cats running around on the field during his interview or anything crazy like that? He does have some of the best calls that just meshed with outlandish events. Remember the cat that got onto MetLife? Yes, the, the cat that got into the yeah. CDW red zone. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah, he told right. the story the first time, and it was a rabbit on the field at Purdue, Michigan, and he described the first time he decided to describe an animal on the field. He thought he was going to lose his job afterward. <laughs> He's one of the best. He absolutely is. So I will gladly accept a five-minute delay when Kevin Harlan is the guy that was on before me. Thank you very much, Mike. Why does no one want to go work for the Arizona Cardinals? That is a hell of a question, and I can't help but wonder whether or not coordinators from Super Bowl 57 will instantly emerge as hot candidates, especially from the winning team, whether offensive or defensive, for either the Colts' job or the Cardinals' job. Boy, right now they've got two finalists in Lou Anaromo, the Bengals' defensive coordinator, and Mike Kafka, the Giants' offensive coordinator. Brian Flores basically took the bird in the hand with the Minnesota defensive coordinator job instead of waiting to see what happened with Arizona. Now, I thought he was the front runner. It very well may have been that he just didn't want any part of that job. How attractive is it really when you've got a starting quarterback who's on a big money contract, who tore an ACL late in the season, who may not be ready to go until midway through the regular season, if then, may not be even close to 100% until 2024. It just feels like a shiftless, rudderless franchise right now. And 
They've got two finalists for now. I'll be interested to see what happens after the Super Bowl. And when you've got two teams that are still looking for coaches, why not at this point wait and see, wait and see what happens with the Super Bowl? And there may be a performance from one of these units that is so good, almost like what happened with Frank Reich five years ago when Josh McDaniels jilted the Colts. It made sense to consider Reich because the Eagles put up 41 points on the Patriots in Super Bowl 52. I find the Brian Flores news interesting, especially because the, as far as I know, the lawsuit is ongoing and continuing to simmer underneath all of this. And that it also gives context where we're still talking about why Eric Bieniemy can't get himself on more short lists for opportunities. And Bieniemy is one of the candidates for the Colts job, even though he hasn't had a second interview. I'm told he's still in play for that job and that could heat up after the game on Sunday, but the Flores lawsuit is still going. Now, it's been filed more than a year ago. It was February 1 of last year when he dropped that bombshell, which we never thought would come because the assumption is if a coach ever did that, he was basically sacrificing his career. He hasn't. He's worked his way back up to defensive coordinator, which is encouraging, which shows that maybe he won't be shunned. There won't be retaliation against him, and I think that's one of the reasons why the Cardinals job could have been his if he had hung in there because not only does he help the Cardinals become a better team and that he was the exact opposite of Cliff Kingsbury would maybe coach Kyler Murray into being the guy he can be with aggressive, hard-nosed coaching, but it's good for business to not turn your back on a guy who has dared to stand up to big shield. But that case is still going forward and it's trapped on the question of whether or not the case is going to go to arbitration, which the NFL is fighting for, or stay in open court, which the NFL doesn't want, because that's when all the truth comes out. That's when we get to see what the questions and answers are and what the documents look like and what the rulings are. And at the end of the day, the NFL stands a much greater chance of losing if an independent judge decides this versus the whole thing landing in the court of Roger Goodell. Have you ever done any sensory deprivation? (laughs) Not intentionally. (laughs) There have been some... some, uh, some Saturday mornings after a long Friday night where I wished I could have sensory <laughs> deprivation. But uh, th- that's only Aaron Rodgers, right? Of all the players in the NFL, of all the athletes in professional sports, he's the only one that pulls this kooky stuff out of thin air. And some people think he's just trolling us all, that that's his metaphor for the black hole, and it's another sign that he's going to go to the Raiders. But, you know, whatever it takes for him to make his decision, he's got big decisions to make. Number one, is he going to play at all next year? Number two, is it the Packers or someone else? Number three, if it's someone else, who's it going to be? And TBD on Aaron Rodgers. I thought he was going to the Broncos last year, and I think the Broncos thought that as well. We'll see if he leaves the Packers this year, and if so, where he goes. We had a previous guest on the show today. Give us the info. Was it all but was it all but one of the starters on the Eagles? Are there draft picks? I mean, that is an astonishing factoid, and nearly, I would think that's nearly impossible. What does it say, and what can be emulated about that kind of continuity and that kind of draft-to-field-to-Super Bowl success? It is amazing, and it reminds me of the 70s when that's how teams were built. There weren't trades. You drafted and developed and kept your guys as long as you could. The Steelers and Cowboys, I remember of the – 70s all of their guys were original drafted or undrafted free agents that they kept and they developed and it's not just the draft it's draft and develop when a guy ends up being a bust who was a high level draft pick we assume it's something about him sometimes the team just didn't develop him properly so the eagles are drafting the right guys 
They're developing the right guys. And when you create that pipeline that you can trust, where you know you're getting guys who can play, it makes it easier to manage the reality that your best players become stars, they become coveted by others, they leave via free agency, and then you confidently reload, not rebuild, but reload with a younger, cheaper guy who's on his rookie contract, and that's how you maintain. And you keep some of the guys. Obviously, you have to reward some of them. You can't have a culture where all your best players don't get paid by you, they get paid by someone else. You can afford to do that because you know that the rest of your roster is rounded out by these young guys who are coming in and getting it done. So it's very encouraging for the Eagles. I saw Jerry Jones made the comment last week that he believes the Eagles went all in this year, and that's baloney. The Eagles are building something that I think is going to last for a long time, and people better get used to the Eagles being one of the best teams in the NFC. Mike, I feel like Fox missed an opportunity here with Brady. I don't think that he should be on the broadcast, and he said that he wasn't going to jump into broadcasting until 2024. But I feel like, considering what he had on his podcast this week, that if you wanted to do a a sit-down with him and the two quarterbacks for Fox, you could have probably done something like that. So I'm curious what you think of how they're they're kind of slow-playing this now, that Brady is going to at least sit out a year. Does it mean that he's going to come back and play? Well... When you look at the comments he made to Colin Coward on Monday and then the comments he made on his podcast, and this is one of those things where it's like a painting that 20 people can look at it and see 20 different things. You can look at his comments from Monday and interpret them however fits your preferred narrative. I look at it as he hasn't closed the door on playing in 2023. He's asked the question, is there even a 1% chance you'd come back? And he doesn't answer it. And then he says, I believe I can play. I want to play. Now is the time for me to stop. Well, that's what he believes now. And see, he hides behind that a lot. He hides behind the idea, not that he wasn't telling the truth, but when he says something, he believes it's true. Time changes. Circumstances change. Remember, he said, I'll stop playing when I suck. He no longer sucks. And he said on his podcast the other night, I meant that when I said it. So when you start wielding, I meant it when I said it, you can do a lot of stuff. And he can come back if he wants to. And what's anybody going to do? Oh, you said you were done for good. Well, he was done last year, too, even though we know he was trying to get to Miami. But if an opportunity falls into his lap and we get to July, I remember when Favre retired in 2008. He was on David Letterman's show late April. Yeah, that's right. And that's when he first dropped a hint. Yes, I remember that. And and he said, said, when July rolls around, I don't know how I'm going to feel. And my reaction was I watched it that night and I thought, holy crap, he's coming back. And it was just a matter of when. And so I feel like with Brady – it's a possibility it's going to be on the radar screen until we get to the season and through the season. And here's the, here's one key point. The Buccaneers need him to redo his contract to reduce his cap hit this year. He's got like 31 and a half million in dead cap money. And he would have to sign with them for one year, kind of a dummy contract. But if he does that, they'll hold his rights. So if ever would want to come back, he'd have to deal with that. And that becomes a problem after the trade deadline. If they would release his rights after the trade deadline, he has to go through waivers. If he wants to have maximum flexibility to jump on any horse he wants, whenever he wants, he needs to be a true and clear free agent. It'll be interesting to see whether he plays ball with the Buccaneers. If he doesn't, that's the next big clue that he wants to have maximum flexibility to come back whenever he wants to come back. But just from a TV standpoint, did did Fox miss the boat here? Because I I looked at all the people that he had on the podcast and I go, you could have put something together that would have maximized that inside your broadcast and it's not him broadcasting the game but it's still his name his connections all the things that you're paying him all that money for anyway 
Well, from a pure business standpoint, look at it this way. When a cab shows up at your house, when does the meter start to run, right? When does the $375 million over 10 years start to run for Tom Brady? And if you put the flag down or the flag up, remember, I don't know, people don't, do people even use cabs anymore? But, you know, once you start, does, does having him involved in the Super Bowl start that clock and then start paying him over the next 10 years starting now? Because if he says, hey, I'm not starting until 2024, okay, good. We delay paying this money until week one of the 2024 season or preseason, whenever he starts in 24. If he's not going to get to the booth, this is just an awkward thing that we just don't want to deal with it. He doesn't want to do it. We're not going to push it. We don't have to worry about paying him. I feel like at some level, the business side of Fox, which already had its plan in place for the Super Bowl, they planned these things months in advance. I've been part of it now three times with NBC. Everything is painstakingly mapped out months in advance. I suspect at some level they were relieved that they didn't have to figure out how to jam him into what they already planned to do. Mike Florio, thank you, sir. All right, thanks, guys. Have a great week. You too. That's Mike Florio. We've got High Noon coming up next. We have a resolution of sorts in the Dallas Zoo mystery, and it's not exactly what you think. It's even weirder. I've got information on our guy, Rakim. I learned something about him yesterday that I didn't know, and I thought I'd share it. We'll do that next. I'll be back this way on Monday. We'll settle this then. Right there, out in the street, in front of the Palace Saloon. Yeah, right. When? High noon? We've been busy up until this point here on what is usually a Layla Rahimi Wednesday. Layla is under the weather. She is resting up. She is getting some... I I hope she's still asleep. Yeah, me too. Because, I mean, she's been going hard the last couple of weeks so i hope that she's asleep and then she wakes up and she looks and she's like ah, i could be on the radio with those two idiots or, or i could go back to sleep and then she eats something and goes back to sleep we talked about lebron setting the record and the bulls being disappointing and patrick williams being soft and not rising to the occasion when guys are pushing him around and responding in a way that you want him to and the fact that DeMar DeRozan wasn't there was kind of odd. I'm wondering if it had anything to do with the trade deadline approaching. I, Tomorrow I, at 2 o'clock. I'll admit that was the first thing I thought. Adam Hogue joined us from Radio Row at the Super Bowl. Kevin Harlan was just wonderful as always. Yeah. And Mike Florio was informative as always. It's really nice moment at the Grammys. Like as they're walking out, Jay-Z runs into Rakim. And he just like flips out because we all would flip out if we ran into Rakim. And he... He greeted him as the God MC because, you know, Rakim is the God MC. But it turns out that he was almost the God quarterback. What? Yeah. Rakim told this story to Chuck D when he was doing his uh, autobiography, and I didn't know this. And what was funny, I was on my way to college, and I said, all right, I'm going to make me a tape. And I was doing my thing, working out, trying to get ready for football season. I definitely had a spot on the college team. And then um, one of my friends knocked on the door with Eric B, like 85. I played that tape for him that I had made for college. And he was like, you know, I know Molly Maul. So, you know, a little kid, I was a big Molly Maul fan. So, you know, I was still a little, you know, torn because I wanted to play football. He was, you know, saying, you know, we can make this record. So I, you know, I told him, I said, well, you know, I'm, I'm trying to go to college, man. But he was like, yo, we can do it where you're a guest to the record and you don't have to sign a contract. That's why the first single in 1985 came out in 86, yes, yeah? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. It was Eric B. featuring Rakim. 
and you know, featuring means it's just a guest to a record. You don't really have to sign no contract. So, you know, I sat there, I said, well, so I can make a record and go play football. So to me, that was like a, a you know, no-lose situation. So a couple weeks later, you know, I told him, you know, let's do it. Maybe three weeks later, he came back to the crib. He's like, yo, let's go to Molly Mall crib. I'm like, well, let's do it. Jumped on the train to Molly crib, Queens Bridge, you know what I mean? And the rest was history, man. So, you know, luckily, you know what I mean? Things happened the way they did, man. Because again, man, quarterbacks nowadays, six, seven, 260 pounds. <laughs> And he's 5'8", 150 pounds. Maybe 5'8". Yeah. Maybe on a good day he's 5'8". So I don't know, man. But he apparently was the man. Okay. When it came to quarterbacking back back in the, the, the early 80s, he was the man. So I never knew that he had, like, real aspirations of continuing his football. We have resolution. And it's it's not what I thought. We know that all of these animals had been set free from the Dallas Zoo and some had been found. There were leopards and, and, and monkeys. And my, my thought, I suspected some sort of eco-terrorism, some sort of activism, I should say. The idea of people someone... freeing animals because they shouldn't be in cages, Correct. even though it's kind of dangerous to free those animals because they've been domesticated. And can they fight for themselves it's, once they get out in the wild? It's the it's, wrong way to make a good point. It's the wrong way to make a valid point about caging animals. Yep. I do think there is a discussion to be had, but that's not what this was. A 24-year-old man now linked to an unusual string of crimes that kept the Dallas Zoo on the lookout for missing animals told police that after he swiped two monkeys from their enclosure, he took them onto the city's light rail system to make his getaway. Davion Irvin also said he loves animals and that if he's released from jail, he would steal more. Oh. That's usually not a good way to get released from jail. He remained jailed on a $25,000 bond, was arrested last week after asking questions at a downtown Dallas aquarium about animals there. He's charged with six counts of animal cruelty and two counts of burglary. On the night of January 29th, he waited until dark, jumped a fence to get onto zoo grounds, cut the metal mesh of an enclosure, and took the two emperor tamarind monkeys. He then got on the city's light rail before walking to the vacant home where he said he kept his animals. Acting on a tip from the public, police found the monkeys named Bella and Finn on January 31st, the day after they were discovered missing, at the empty home in Lancaster, a Dallas suburb 15 miles south of the zoo. Wait, how did Layla say that? Last week. I said Lancaster, and she said Lancaster. 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 Right. Multiple cats and pigeons were also in the home, in addition to dead feeder fish and fish food that had disappeared from a staff-only area of the zoo earlier in January. Irvin has been charged with two of the odd events over a span of several weeks. He's linked to another. In the taking of the monkeys, he faces one count of burglary, six counts of cruelty, three for each monkey, and a burglary charge in relation to the escape of the clouded leopard, named Nova that was discovered missing January 13th. A cut was found at her enclosure. The zoo closed as a search was launched. She was found later near her habitat. Irvin told investigators he'd wanted to take Nova, but he was only able to pet her before she got on top of the enclosure. They've also linked Irvin to the cutting of an enclosure for Langur monkeys discovered after Nova went missing, but he hasn't been charged in that because the Langur, none of the Langur monkeys escaped. 
In the days leading up to the tamarins being taken, a man had been raising suspicions at the zoo, asking questions not only about moving and caring for such monkeys, but about the clouded leopard that escaped. He was also seen entering staff buildings near the monkey's enclosure. So, Clouded leopard. Meanwhile, pol- police in Louisiana have announced the arrest of a 61-year-old man in the case of the 12 squirrel monkeys Uh-oh. that were discovered missing. Those monkeys haven't been found. So it just seems like we've got one troubled soul here, and he's not doing it for any sort of activist reason. There's not part of a larger point. He said he loves animals, and he would do this again. Yeah, it's really, really not the way to get them off your case. No, I my my guess. I am not. A, I am not a lawyer, but were I taking up this case, I think you have uh, some non compass Yes, I think exactly some psychological issues at play. That We'd like to get our client checked out. Maybe mitigating circumstances for this kind of behavior. All right, fair enough. That is high noon. We do it every day around this time. That's kind of the beauty of it. When we come back, there's bear stuff for us to discuss. Well, there's Justin Field stuff in particular, and I want to get back to just real quick before we get into some of the stuff Sean King said mm-hmm. and some of the other things. There's an email regarding what Adam Hogue says he's been hearing from too many people. I was shocked by that. I, me too. And, and there's a great response to that that I want to bring you. All right, let's do all of that next. It's Bernstein and Holmes here on The Score. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade parts used with permission.